Hi, my name's Sam Sheen, and welcome to Captivated Audience, a podcast I co-host with my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lindberg. This is part two of the EFI Limited podcast featuring Jeff Bateman, Director of Operations. We start part two with Jeff describing his experience when working on a KYC utility. Can you tell us a little bit about that project that you worked on? I think it was called Clarion? Clarions, yes. But it's a joint venture between a group of large wholesale banks uh, with a global presence and then primarily owned by DTCC, which is um, for the European market, it's the, it's the euro clear of uh, the US. DTCC was asked by its partners um, and specifically five or six big uh, wholesale banks to come off with a utility to be able to satisfy what was deemed to be the KYC problem. So what was the rationale exactly behind wanting to create the KYC utility? The rationale behind it was that a lot of documents are shared between companies. First of all, have a safe environment where you could exchange documents. There was also an element of static data that was was the same across the board. So if you look at an entity, there are circa around 60 to 80 different data points that are are static. Okay, Most of them in the public domain and most of them you can get hold of. Everybody has teams replicating the same different things in different environments across the world. So do you want to have a team of operational analysts who are based in Salt Lake City for a large investment bank who are duplicating the same data reference points as a different investment bank who is based in Poland or in Bangalore or in Manila? So the idea was to bring all that together and go so, and then there would be a certain uplift inside that particular investment bank. I know when we spoke earlier, you said one of the challenges was around policies. Can you explain that a bit more? So the idea was to have a commonality about policy, which is never a good idea, if I'm honest, and is is where, where I've seen most utilities and enterprises like this regrettably fail. The theory works, but in practice at the moment, no one has been able to, to nail it. And again, client was one of the, what I believe to be one of the forefront runners of that. There are many people who have subsequently tried. There are subsequently people who are still trying to do that. My hat off to them that I do believe that somebody one day will be successful in this. On this podcast, we've had people talk about static data, as you just mentioned, and data in transit. But you've got a slightly different view on the ease with which static data can be worked with, especially when setting up that utility. Isn't that right? The commonality of policy is is a hard one to crack and You know, if you look at static data, no one can really argue about static data. Yeah, you're wrong. What is an address? How many times have I debated around what an address looks like? How many different fields there needs to be an address? And obviously jurisdictions change. How an address is represented, A, to a client and to internal systems. Don't see why it really matters when you're collecting it. But obviously you can concatenate it on the back end. But, you know, that's down to, you know, certain people and the ways that they work. There is, there is a massive opportunity for somebody to, to nail that, and I think somebody will get that one day. I sometimes feel with existing KYC, the risk is, is people go, when we've fallen behind, they have a panic. It tends to be the ones that are high risk because they usually set things like they'll be reviewed every year yep. and they run towards that. And then they leave alone the ones that are supposed to be reviewed every three to five years, having no idea the nature and behavior of that client may have radically changed or there may be a longstanding financial crime problem. How do you go about figuring out what's the right balance of resource? I leverage the BMI side of it. So also there's a theory about what resources required using what information you already have available to you. So obviously, you know, if a client has an onboarding process or a remediation progress at the moment, what you could do is a time and motion study on that and then potentially extrapolate what that looks like over the rest of the population. 
I wouldn't use the time in motion on your difficult cases because you need to make sure that they're done correctly rather than against the time constraints. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got the regulator time constraint and you can play around with that, but be realistic with your timelines. So what are some of the key ingredients you think about when you're developing your resourcing plan to make sure it's both appropriate, but it's also agile? You can still play with scenarios. Um, and usually I, I want more than one scenario from a resource point of view. So again, knowing your resource and knowing your capabilities of your resource is one of your key things. So that's one of the inputs, as it were. The other one is obviously a stabilized population. So you know, if you understand what you're aiming at, then you can extrapolate what it is. Obviously, there's going to be leakage. Now, when I say leakage, there's going to be, you know, new onboards that might need to be expedited. There may be other cases that have deals or transactions that are attached to them that then might need to be pulled out and then done at the top of the queue. Or the annual review for that client is coming up and you want to make sure that all the paperwork is done. So therefore, it's smooth running and then they sign up for the next five or 10 years on their product or whatever it might be. So again, having that flexibility between and not being as rigid, but still being disciplined enough Another area I find people struggle with is effectively communicating to the regulator how far along they are with their remediation work. People seem to think it's a bad thing to be candid with the regulator for some reason in case they get those numbers wrong. I mean, how do you mitigate that risk? I'm, I'm always a big advocate of if you went back to a regulator at the end of a year and went and said, hi, I've done 10% of my population or I've done, I've split my work up, I've done this and I've done 40% of the easy stuff and I've done 10% of the hard stuff. What's better, 50% or 10%? But it's still that conversation throughout the year. So the first time that you spot that you're not gonna hit your timeline, go running to the regulator, go and tell them, make them aware of it. You know, when the transaction monitoring tools were first coming out, it was the big sexy thing was all the MI you could get out of the back end of that technology sort of drove towards an exercise of practice whereby there were very, very strict KPIs set for turning over investigation of potential hits. And we ended up with a situation, and in some places this is still the case, where we have these specialized teams of all they're doing is they're clearing, they're clearing alert. We've had subsequently people create technology like Federay or Quantex or other people that overlay now to try and spot patterns. And it's almost as though the way we set up clearing the hit, we created almost this obsolete bit of work, which has taken away any analytical skill involved. So yet how, how do you reconcile that from an operational perspective? I mean, you want efficiencies, but at the same time, is it right to be chopping it into these distinct little tasks? The way that my mind works is very logical and it breaks it up into those tasks anyway. So whichever bit of technology can come in and you can have reassurances around it, again, making sure you've got checks and balances to make sure that it's doing its job. It's taking away the low level tasks, should I say, for individuals and allowing that person to expand their knowledge and move further up the value chain. Can you go and get APIs through the door? Yes, you can. Could you have got that 15 years ago? You could have, but the metrics and the, the commercialization of that was significantly different. Okay, let me just jump in here then. Where do you see technology playing a role then to change that model? Technology has brought us on a long way and it will inevitably replace those lower level jobs so we can be smarter and spend more time on the stuff that A, it can't work on and B, configuring it at the same time as looking for patterns that a computer might not necessarily do. So do I advocate that a computer can look at everything 100% of the time and be left alone in a cupboard and not be, not be monitored? No, I do not. Do I rely on technology? Well, yes, I do. You know, we're using it at the moment to, to have this conversation. If we weren't having this conversation, I couldn't hear you. That's my checks and balances to make sure that it's working. It's just you need to, in a, a regulated financial services environment, you need to have those controls to make sure that it's performing in the way that you believe that it should be performing. And the moment that it doesn't, that you can either A, turn it off and have operational resilience to be able to pick that up to meet your obligations, whether they be customer, board level or regulatory. 
So Jeff, we've previously talked about how some managed services or supporting services will just throw lots of bodies on a project for a client to try and resolve remediation or transaction monitoring. What is it you think EFI is doing different under your leadership in the operations area? We bring a level of knowledge, first of all. We bring um, what I call heavyweights to the table. Okay, we, we bring a level of knowledge that maybe is needed for a certain task. The next thing as well, uh, and where we potentially differentiate the way that we work is, we look at supporting people around uh, their technology. As we've said, that there is logic built into algorithms that goes and says, this is what goes into the exception-based queue where a human will look at it, and this is a pattern that would be normal behavior. We try and feed that back to the client to fine tune it. Can you have loads of false positives? Yes, you can. But false positives at the end of the day is waste. Why are we not learning from every false positive that we review to go and say, oh, there's a pattern here. Maybe this is something that we can potentially exclude in the future. Therefore, increasing that resilience on um, a computer algorithm and then moving that individual into a, either taking pressure off from a time point of view so they can actually focus on the, the harder ones and see whether there's any more patterns out there or maybe moving them further up the value chain or maybe increasing their knowledge to then go on to do something else. It's a formula that works. Clients have really benefited from it, the knowledge and expertise that we bring to the table at the same time as a transformational way of operationally thinking. You know, Jeff, we talk about risk management in a number of different aspects of AML compliance. It's also pretty relevant in terms of how we operationalize and deal with both the reg requirements and potential financial crime risks. I mean, how do you look at that? I always use the analogy of an oil tanker that's coming into harbor. Okay, they put their brakes on some sort of 100 miles out shore. They don't put it on 10 minutes beforehand like you do in your Volvos. They literally, it takes them 100 miles to slow down and come to a halt. If I moved you a 10 centimeters to the right, then that's going to be 30 miles different than where you were aiming for. Now, if you think that the regulatory landscape is where the harbour is at the moment, but actually a better landscape is 30 miles down the road, then why are you not making those changes as soon as you possibly can to react to that? And therefore you're cruising into where you need to be. And that becomes that future proofing. So it's just an analogy that I've used many, many times to go and say, look, the slightest bit of change that you do now could change dramatically further down the line of the way that you're producing something, the way that you're, you're engaging with the regulator and how you are with the clients as well. If you were going to start to strategize the rolling back in, and I mean rolling back in generally, right? The economy is going to start changing again. Some people may go back to work. We won't be working under the same restrictions. Given that environment, from a risk management point of view, thinking about your AML compliance program, what are the first two things you would want to be thinking about now? Staff. I picked up a slogan from a mentor that I had some 15, 20 years ago that went and said, my assets leave the building at the end of the day in the lift, and I am lucky that they come back the following day. So I have a massive respect for my staff, and I wouldn't be able to function without them. So if any of them have a problem, I will listen, and they need to have that comfort that they will be listened to. So I know that every member of the staff who's returning back to the workplace will be thinking about their environment, and am I going to be safe? Now, don't get me wrong, there's health and safety in place. There are HR teams and there are facilities teams that will make sure that that happens. Making sure that that is in place is one thing and making sure that somebody has comfort that those are being monitored and, and being kept. You know, you know, a lot of firms are going to say, oh, I'm going to double the amount of hand sanitizers. Great. But after six weeks, when everyone's been ordering hand sanitizers, are you telling me that you're going to run out? And therefore, basically, that's not a box that's going to be tipped for me anymore. You know, is there now going to be a desk space between everybody? Okay, how does that work when you go to the toilet where there, those parameters aren't going to be necessarily there? So how does all that follow through? So it'll be interesting to find out what businesses are going to look like um, going forward. 
I, I say to my business partners and my staff, I'm in no rush. Safety has to be one of the major concerns that's there. Staff safety, that's the first consideration. What's the second one? Understanding what has changed from the way that we're working. So I, I benchmarked a what the UK government was saying at the same time as, if I'm honest, uh, I took a lot of leverage from what the NHS was doing. I was hearing all these things that they were taking into account and I went, right, okay, it's about time we ran certain scenarios. What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? Right, what is the worst case scenario and what, what happens in that case? Understanding what populations look like, and when I say populations, I mean remediation work or, or queues or, or BAU backlogs, which are, are ready to go into remediation or have built up over this time because businesses and clients may not have been as robust or forward thinking as, as we brought in with our, our staff. So I am fully expecting that a number of people will start knocking on our door going, I now have a problem that I didn't have before the lockdown. And if we were BAU and lockdown hadn't happened, then these things wouldn't have transpired. Yeah. So basically the message is don't put your head in the sand. This is probably mm -hmm. the time when you need to look around and go in a really honest way. Have I got a pile of laundry that I just haven't got to the ironing yet? And I probably need to get on that pretty soon, right? Absolutely. That, that smell's not going to disappear from the corner if you just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Jeff, I'm going to thank you so much for taking out this time because I know you are always super busy. I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Sam. If you have any questions you'd like to ask Jeff directly or more generally in relation to EFI Limited Services, you can reach out to them on their website, efilimited.com, or you can also reach out to them on their LinkedIn page. Until the next time, have a great day and stay safe.